We are continuing our series called He is Coming. If you missed last week, we are taking all of summer and we're going through the letters in Thessalon the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Last week we did the intro. We looked at Paul's story, the story in Acts about his first encounter and how Paul was not with this church very long. He showed up. It says he'd been there for three Sabbaths before they chased him out. Three weeks he'd been with them. And yet, when he writes the letter, this is one of the only letters that he addresses, not to the believers, not to the brothers and sisters, but to the church in Thessalonica. <clears throat> and in this amazing church, even though it had only been three weeks that Paul had been with them, they were having a massive impact on their province, on their region. Their story had spread through all of Macedonia and beyond, and it was influencing and it was impacting those who had heard it. And it's amazing what happens when a church, as young as that one is, and we see it all around the world, what happens when a church is born out of persecution. Because they hardly got going, and the city came against them, the religious leaders came against them, everyone came against them, and that's what caused Paul to leave on so quickly. And this morning, as we dive into chapter 2, the big thing that Paul wants the church to see, he wants us to see, is that persecution isn't a new thing, and it's not going anywhere. And yet, in the end, we still need to hold on to the hope. We need to hold on to the things and the stories that God has done in our life. There are things that we need to hold on to to strengthen our faith in the midst of the hard times that are to come. So without any further ado, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, here we go. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But th though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So a big portion of this first, pass, this first section is Paul kind of calling to mind all the things that he did, the way he lived, the way he acted towards them, the work that he did. 
And the way that Paul talks to the Thessalonian church, it sounds like he's been, he'd spent a lifetime with these guys. Remember how I worked tirelessly day in and day out? Remember how I would care for you like a mother cares for a nursing child? Remember? And it's just the language felt like it was years upon years that he'd been with them, and yet it was only three weeks. And the big thing that I want us to see out of Paul's story in this letter as he writes to this group of believers is that even though it was, the time was short, Paul lived a lifetime in a very short amount of time. He made the most of every moment. He spent as much time as he could with the people. He spent as much time as he could loving on them, teaching them, spending time with these guys and girls and their families. And the thing that I was reminded as I was sitting here thinking about it, for those of you that have been on the fourth Musketeer, you know you don't need to live years to create lifelong bonds with somebody. You can spend a weekend away making the most of every moment you have together and create those bonds, create those connections and that, that relationship with those people. And I think that's what we're seeing with Paul. Paul didn't have much time, but he didn't need much time. It's like he knew his time was short, and so he didn't waste a moment. He didn't waste time lazing around, doing, you know, whatever. He worked diligently, and he taught diligently, and he gave of himself. And he says to them, remember how I was holy and righteous and blameless before you. Remember how I was like a, a mother to you. Because moms and parents, you treat the kid who needs to feed every two hours differently then you treat the kid who can walk and talk and talk back to you, right? Like there's a difference in the way you parent those two kids. And the one that needs that constant affection, that constant care and love gets treated differently. And Paul says, I treated you all like that, with that extra love, that extra care. He said, I was like a father who when you needed it, I comforted you. When you needed it, I came alongside you and I... But when you needed it, I also gave you a kick in the butt. When I, you needed it, I pushed you harder. I pushed you out of your comfort zone so that you could become the people that I called you to be, that God had called you to be. And he closes this passage by saying, live your life in a manner worthy of the God who has called you into his kingdom and his glory. And I think the connection in this whole passage is that when Paul is reminding the church that you are called to greater and glorious purposes... He doesn't say, remember that amazing three-week sermon series we did? There was actually a fourth part, but you missed out. Like, remember when I talked about this? Remember when I taught you about this? Remember when we had this amazing... No, 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 no. He wasn't calling them to greater things because of something that he said. He wasn't calling them to greater things because of something, some, one of their services. He's calling them to greater things because he set the example of what a life called a life that is worthy of God. He set the example. He said, remember the times we spent together. Remember how I just laid it all out for you and you saw how I was holy all the time. I was blameless. I was righteous. 
And the question and the thing I think we need to pull out of this for us today is who are, whose example are you following? And you can't, because you can say, well, I'm trying to follow Paul's example. But all we have are Paul's words on a page. You can't see holiness in action. You can't see righteousness in action. We need that person that we know is further along spiritually than us that we can spend time with and we can see faith in action. We can see this relationship in action. We can see righteousness in action and we can draw from it and we can imitate it and we can impart it into our own lives. Who is the person that you are spending that time with, not just for the sake of spending time with them, but so that you can learn and be mentored and be challenged to become all that God has called you to be. And on the flip side of it, who are you mentoring? Who is coming alongside, coming to you because they see your faith, they see your relationship with Christ, and they want to imitate it from you? I've said in the past, and I know, I think I actually got it from Pastor Louis, so you know, I, I know you've heard it lots. Everyone needs a Paul and everyone needs a Timothy. Everybody needs somebody feeding into them, and everybody needs somebody they are feeding into. Who is it that you are taking time out of your busy lives? And I know we're all busy. I know we got all the excuses in the world not to do it. But who is that person who is so having such a big impact on your life, or that you look up to say, wow, they are so on track. They are where I want to be in my relationship with Christ. Who is that person that you're like, I need to spend more time with this person. I need to be with them to see faith in action. And who is the person that's coming to you? Now, some of you, parents, I'm looking at you guys, you don't have to look for anyone. You have little mentees at home watching everything you do, whether you acknowledge it or not, and they mimic everything. You guys with young kids, you'll find out. They're going to start saying things. You're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Because they repeat it back to you like a little parrot. Don't say that word. I know dad said it. Don't you say it. Right? They, they, um, they take on all those, they take on the things that we want them to take on, but they more often than not take on the things we don't want them to take on. They are our little, <laughs> you are mentoring, you are imparting good behavior, or maybe you're imparting bad behavior, whatever it is, you are imparting what it means to be a man or a woman of faith, and they are watching, and they are absorbing, and they are becoming just like you, whether you want them to or not. And the question is, is how are you making the most of the time you have with your kids? How are you making the most of the time with those people who are looking up to you and asking you the questions and spending the time? Because it's not an opportunity. Those moments can't be wasted. We can have so much life impact in such a short amount of time if we're intentional about every moment we get with the person God has put in our life to mentor Paul calls them to be to this higher life, not because of something that he said, but because of the life he lived and their memory and their ability to recall what, how he lived his life, how he made it a reality for them. And they, in turn, could imitate it. And so the world could see what it looks like to be a man and a woman of faith. So that's the first part. He's like, you're called, and you want to know what it means to be called? You know what it means to live that life? Remember how I lived when I was with you. Next portion, 
starting at verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles what they might, that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. And the reason Paul is reminding them of this high calling is he's like, persecution, that persecution that we suffered when we first got going, that persecution that drove us from the city, that's nothing new, and it's not going anywhere. And he recalls for the church, he said, this persecution, basically as long as somebody has stood up for God and stood up for the truth that God has declared, there's been somebody opposing them. There's been somebody trying to get them to stop talking, stop declaring the truth. And when you stand not for the truth of the world, not for your own personal truth, but for God's truth lined out completely and wholly in God's word, there's going to be people who stand against you. There's going to be people who are going to tell you to stop or are going to find ways to shut you down because they don't want to hear it. Paul says in Galatians, that there's going to be those who are going to pursue what tickles their ears. They don't want to hear the truth. They just want to hear enough of it that it makes them feel good, makes them feel encouraged, like, ah, oh, I am, I'm doing okay. I, I, I'm. They don't want to hear that God has called them to something bigger. They don't want to hear that they are, there's consequences for their sins. They don't want to hear all that stuff. And so they tune it out. They walk away. They don't live by the truth. They live by their own personal truth. And the more vocal we become and the more, the stronger we are in our stance that there is only one truth, that there is only one God for us to serve, there's going to be people who come against us. And so Paul reminds this young church and he reminds us that even the prophets, even the people who we read about and they have these grand visions and they, they, they are the foundation of everything we believe. They are the foundation of everything Jesus taught us. These great prophets where you read and you're like, oh, that is good stuff. These are the same guys that the nation of Israel would put to death. These same guys that we look to and be like, wow, what a word. Wow, what a writing. I hope that they, I bet you they just got radically transformed when he said this. No, actually, they probably took him out back. They probably stoned him. They probably killed him because they didn't want to hear it. Persecution is not a new thing. It has been around and is not going away. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, it's only going to get worse. And the question is, is are we going to be ready for it? Because right now, we don't, I, I'm going to be completely, we don't know what it means to be persecuted. We don't really know what it means to be shut down for standing for, maybe you do. I, I could be making a really generic comment. Maybe you do know what it means to have, lose a job or to lose something because of your faith. I don't know, maybe you have. But most of us, <laughs> nope, I'm not going there. Um... Most of us have absolutely no idea what it means that when we make a f decision to follow Jesus, it's going to put our life and our family and our reputation on the line. 
But we will. Jesus said there's coming a day where no one's going to escape persecution. No one's going to escape. And the question is, are you going to hold on to the hope and are you going to survive the persecution because that persecution is going to end. It's only for a season and there's coming a time where Jesus is going to return. He's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things good. He's going to remove all the hardship, all the persecution, all of the... But each and every one of us are called to do something more in the time that we have. So how are you making the most of it? How are you living a life that's going to be bigger and stronger and overcome when the hard times come? Because this next part, Paul finishes this chapter by saying the reminder. And remember at the beginning of last week I said there's one theme that's going to keep coming up time and time again. And it's not going to be... And persecution is a big theme, but it's not the theme. And this is what Paul says to close out the chapter. And this is really important. He says, but since you, we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul's, Paul reminds us yet again that Jesus is coming back. And this time he takes a little bit different approach. Last week his big thing was persecution is going to end because Jesus is coming back. This time he said Jesus is going to come back and at his coming we're going to stand in his presence and we're going to, as Jesus said, we're going to give an account. Now if you read any kind of life vision or coaching or any kind of book that's like how do you plot your course, how do you find your purpose in life, most guys start in the same spot. They'll say something along the lines of, to help start this process, imagine the day that you die, and imagine your tombstone, and what is going to be written on it. And what is going to be said at the service? What is going to be said as your family says goodbye? What is going to be said? What is going to be written? And, the, and then he takes a step further, and they're like, what do you want to be written what do you want to be said? So for me, if I wanted at the funeral for someone to stand up and be like, man, he was a great dad. Well, then there's a way that I can make sure that that happens. I can be a great dad. And my kids will remember me for that. My kids will want to share that with it. I, he was so, so good, and I just want to be a parent like he parented. Right? If I want that said, I can course correct now so that to ensure that that's going to be said, or that's going to be written. So what is the thing that you want said? What's the thing you want written? But Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't stop at the day when you die physically. Take it a step further. And he says, what about the day that you're going to stand before Jesus? And when you stand in his presence and you have to give an account of everything that you did and everything that you said and the life that he gave you, how did you spend that life? And what is the thing you're going to be most proud of before him? What is the thing that you're going to be like, look what I did for you, Jesus. Look what I did to honor you and to love you and to share you with the world. What is it? For Paul, it was the Thessalonian church. He's like, I can't wait to stand before Jesus and be like, look what we did, Jesus. Look what we accomplished. 
Look at the lives that were changed. Look at the transformation that happened in the city, in the province. Look at how you moved. Look at what happened. Paul was so excited. He was so proud of the things that had happened in the Thessalonian church. And the question is, when you get there, what are you going to be proud of? What is going to be the thing you stand before and be like, look, Jesus. In the Old Testament, they said that when you went before the king, you never went empty-handed. You always had to bring something. So when you go before the king of kings and the lord of lords, and you have something to offer, what is the thing that you're going to be? Look at this. Look what I did. Look what I did in your name. Look what I accomplished for you. What is, because if you know what that thing is, what the crowning achievement of your life is going to be, you can start working for it now. If you need a starting point, we go to, this, we go to Matthew. Matthew has this parable. Jesus tells this parable in Matthew about sheep and goats. He says that all the world is going to stand before Jesus, and they're going to be separated by sheep and goats, and the sheep are going to hear what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your Father's glory. And on the other side, you're going to hear, away from me, I never knew you. And that's a good starting point. And when I stand before Jesus, and I got to give an account, and I want to know what he thought, I want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. But I think that is not the only one we can shoot for. I think we can aim this a little bit higher. And I want to be like Paul. I want to I stand before Jesus and I want to be proud of my family, of how I mentored them and loved them, and how they lived for him. I want to be proud of the ministries that I that I had lived and I'd served in and I'd led. I want to be proud of this church. And I'm not that I'm not. But there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot for us to do. And I want to stand before Jesus when the time comes and be like, look at what we accomplished, Jesus, at one church. Look at the lives that were transformed. Look at the faithfulness of the people to serve and to pray and to pursue you in everything that we did. Look, God. If I have to give a gift, I want you guys as the church to be part of the gift. And the list goes on. We could go my family, and then we go to the church, and I'm sure there's a lot of other things that I want to do well, not because of my glory, not because I want the approval of man, but because I want God, I want Jesus to be proud of me when I get there. And the question is, what is that thing for you? When you stand before Jesus and you give an account and you offer your great and crowning achievement, God, look at what I accomplished for you. What is that thing going to be? And when you know what that thing is going to be, you can start living for it. You can start working towards it so that when the time comes, you'll be like, look at what I did. And it's not for my glory, but it's all for yours, Jesus. What is the thing that you're going to boast about? Because when you get before Jesus, how much money you made is not something to boast about. Why? Because it can't bring it with you. 
the size of your house, the things that you did from a worldly perspective, none of those things matter. None of those things are going to make a difference. All that's going to matter is all the people that you are able to bring with you. What is going to be your crowning achievement? What is the thing that you are going to boast about when you get before Jesus? For Paul, one of the things was the Thessalonian church. And that's why he could live so much life in those three weeks, because he didn't waste a moment. He wanted each and every one of them to know who Jesus was, to know the truth, and to be ready for everything that could possibly come his way. Worship team, you can come on up. As they come, I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you for the truth. I thank you for that reality that you are coming, and that is our hope, that is our desire, that is the thing that we look forward to most. I pray, God, that in the hard times and in the good times, that that is the thing that we are focused on, that life, this life is not all there is, but that you are coming, and you're coming to reunite us with our Heavenly Father for all eternity. But God, there's going to be that day. Jesus, we are going to stand before you, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, and you would impress on our hearts what is the thing or things that we're going to offer you as our gift, saying, this is what I accomplished for you. This is the thing I am most proud of, and I can stand before you, my head held high, knowing I did this to your glory. What is that thing? And I pray, God, that this week that you would be speaking to each and every one of us. You would be impressing it on our heart, and as our in return, we would spend our days pursuing it, working for it, praying over it, that it would be accomplished to your glory and to your honor. Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the way that you speak and you move and inspire us. Be with us as we go for the rest of the week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.